0: Bibles to Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 28. Exodus chapter 12, if you're not used to looking at a Bible, it is page 61 in the few Bibles provided, the black Bibles there in front of you. Page 61, the chapters are labeled, and the numbers scattered underneath the chapter are the verse numbers. Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 28. Today we are looking at the Passover, at the Passover. Passover is the tenth plague Um, we've been going through in our Sunday mornings, the life of Moses, going through him, bringing the children of Israel out of Egypt. Now, last week we did nine plagues in a row, and that was an action-packed plague-packed everything. And I'm going to try not to spoil it for you. Uh, because this is the last time I'm going to get to make this joke and I'm going to take full advantage of it. Um, This is, the story of Moses is one where I don't have to worry about spoiling the ending because I know that almost all of you have seen the movie and some of you have even read the book. So, it is the story of God taking the children of Israel and bringing them out of Egypt, of God using Moses to lead the people out. Now, At this point, the Israelites had been in slavery in Egypt for about 400 years. And and during this period, the Egyptians had become increasingly threatened by the Israelites. There's so many of them. They're here in the land. If there was ever a war, they could side with our enemies. And so they decided to crush the Israelites. They think that by doing so, they will prevent them from becoming their enemies. They think, if we can keep them down just enough that they can be good slaves and never a threat then we will remain in control. Now, this is not God's plan. God's plan is to take his people and lead them out, to allow them to go to the land that he had promised to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And so he raises up Moses as a deliverer. Moses, who had been raised in the house of Pharaoh after the failed attempt to kill all of the Hebrew boys, goes out, and as he goes out, he stands before Pharaoh, And after he's spoken of the burning bush, he stands before Pharaoh and he says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, who is the Lord that I should obey him? I do not know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. Now, the first nine plagues, very clearly in particular, God says, I'm going to do this. So that they will know that I am the Lord. I'm going to do this so that they'll know there's none like me. I'm going to do this so that they'll know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. I'm going to do this so that they'll know that I make a distinction between the Israelites and the Egyptians. God says, I'm going to unleash these plagues to show the Egyptians who I am. To answer Pharaoh's question, who is the Lord and why should I listen to him? But we see, as we study through it, that over and over again, Pharaoh hardens his heart. Pharaoh feels the conviction of God, he knows what he needs to do, and he says, No, I'm not going to do it. I'm the boss of me. And the tragedy is that your heart is such that there's a momentum to your heart. If you do what you're not supposed to do once, your conscience is not quite so strong the next time. And you give into it again. And your conscience is even weaker. Adrian Rogers tells this illustration of a fire in a forest. It says the first time a fire in a forest comes to a tree, that tree blazes. The next time it comes, the stump will burn for a little while. The next time there's a fire, it'll flame up and then go out. And the next time it's a fire, the fire will move around the stump because there's nothing left to burn. You know, your heart is like that. God comes and he, he convicts you you feel guilty about something or you feel motivated to do something or you feel whatever. And the first time, it's overwhelming. And you think, if I can just wait a little bit longer, I'll get over this. And you're right. And you wait a little bit longer and you kind of push down what you know you're supposed to be doing and then something happens and God lays it on your heart again. But This time it's not quite so strong. And by getting a callus on your hand, what used to hurt now you can't feel at all. Pharaoh's done that. And God lays his plagues on Pharaoh, lays his plagues on Pharaoh, and he refuses and refuses and refuses to let the children of Israel go. But the 12th plague, the 12th chapter, he tells the 10th plague, the final plague. The plague where the Israelites are allowed to leave. You know, they part the Red Sea, they wander in the wilderness for what should have been about a two-week journey, 40 years <coughs> And finally enter the promised land. As they come through, this tenth plague is, of course, the worst plague of all. They've seen their livestock killed. They've seen the water turned to blood. They've seen frogs and lice and boils. But now the tenth plague is the plague that is overwhelming. It is the plague of the Passover. Why are we talking about the Passover today? Just because of what comes next? Well, yes, it's what comes next. But what happened on the Passover? There were different Hebrew holidays. The Day of Atonement was the day that they made a sacrifice for the sins of the people. Purim was the time that they remembered the events of Esther. Uh, they had there's a number of holidays. Jesus was not killed on the Day of Atonement where they made sacrifice for the sins of the people. Jesus was not killed on Purim. Jesus was not killed on the festival of tabernacles. Jesus was not killed on any of these other things. Jesus was killed on the Passover. Why is that? Well, as we're going to see, it's because God said, When I see the blood, I will pass over you. That's the title of my message this morning. I will pass over you. Exodus chapter 12, verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Now let me kind of set the stage with this a little bit. The first month of our year is January. Okay, everybody's familiar with that. So far, so good. What would it take for the president and Congress to come on TV and say we are changing the first month of the year? That something so important has happened that we're going to change the year forever. That we need to realize that this is a real beginning. not imagine anything that would make that happen. But for the 10th plague for the Passover, God tells Moses and Aaron, he says, this is a new beginning. It's such a big new beginning. We are going to rewrite the calendar. We're going to throw out the old calendar and start over. This is your new first month. He says, speaking unto the congregation of Israel, in the tenth day of the month, they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house their fathers, a lamb for a house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the souls. Each man, according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. So on the tenth day of Nisan, the tenth day of Abid, <coughs> the first month of the Hebrew calendar, every will is responsible for getting a lamb. If you were too poor to get a lamb... Well, then you could uh, buddy up with your neighbor and you could get a lamb and come and stay in the same house for this festival. But whatever it was, you had to have a spotless lamb that you set apart on the 10th day of the month. The reason you had to set it apart on the 10th day of the month is that on the 14th day of the month, as we're going to see, every house had to slaughter their lamb. Now, do you know what happened on the 10th day of Abib, the day of Jesus died, the year of Jesus died? Jesus went and had dinner in the house of a woman who came and broke an expensive bottle of perfume worth about a year's wages and poured it on him. And Judas said, why are you wasting that expensive perfume? You could have sold that and given it to the poor. And of course the Bible says that Judas had no interest in giving it to the poor. Judas was the treasurer and wanted to uh, skim some off the top of it. So why would you do that? And Jesus said, she is preparing my body for burial you know what happened on the 10th day of Abid Jesus was set apart. Then Judas left, went to the night, went to the chief priests, and said, What will be if me to the trade? And for 30 pieces of silver, so, the price of a slave, Jesus was set apart once again. Set apart like a lamb for what the lamb would have. Each household needs the lamb. Let's go just a little bit further. Uh, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats. It has to be healthy. It has to be spotless. It has to be perfect. And you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two posts and on the upper doorposts of the houses wherein they shall eat. And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roasted fire and unleavened bread and with bitter herbs they shall eat. Eat not of it raw nor sodden it all with water, but roast with fire, his head with his legs and with the pertinence thereof. And ye shall let nothing of it remain until the morning. And that which remaineth of it until the morning ye shall burn with fire. we take you now what they did. Each house took their lamb, set apart on the tenth of the month. On the fourteenth day of the month they killed the lamb and roasted it whole said, don't boil it, don't do anything else, roast it whole. He says, and take the blood from the slaughtering of the lamb, and I want you to put the blood on the two sides and on the top of the doorpost. And he said, I want you to take hyssop, which is a, a big soggy plant. Uh, they use it for cleaning, laundering, and stuff. I want you to soak that in the blood, and I want you to strike it. Strike it on the two sides and on the middle. Now I want you to now, imagine Jesus here. Okay? It's upside down. Because, of course, the feet of Jesus hang at the bottom. And so I want you to strike it on the two sides and once on the middle. And this will be your door. This will be your entrance. This will be your way to safety and security in life. It's to come through the place that's marked. One nail in each feet one nail. One nail in each hand and one nail in the feet. On the door I am the door Jesus would say in John he says go you take your lamb you slaughter it you put the blood in. now do you think that the blood of a lamb that the death of a lamb really does anything to save anybody's life you can't just no it's an animal okay? I mentioned this in the Sunrise Service, but I'll say it again. If it was necessary for me to kill personally every lamb on the planet and crush every honeybee to save my baby girl, you better not get between me and the lamb, right? Because the comparison is non-existent. So what is the blood of the lamb? Well, I don't know about you all, but I've got a checkbook. I say, what do you have a checkbook for? Well, I pay the water bill and I tied with the church. the only thing to use a checkbook. I've got a checkbook, and it's got checks in it. Wonder, wonder. Those checks are not money. Right? It's not money, it's a check. If you take one of my checks, it's not going to do you very much good. But a check is a pointer. A check is me giving you a note and saying, there will be money. Will you take this? And if you're the water company or the church, you will. The blood of the lamb was not something, the blood of the Passover lamb was not something that had the power to set the Israelites free from slavery. But it was a check. It was them saying there will be a sacrifice that will be good enough to buy us freedom from slavery. It's a pointer. It's something that says this is not that, but something is coming. So we way to understand that if Jesus had not come and died, then the Passover would not have accomplished anything. But because it was certain that Jesus would come and that Jesus would die, the blood of the Lamb was treated as a check, as a promise of the blood of Jesus Christ. So they take it, they kill it, and they roast it completely. you know why they roast it completely? This is, this is terrible. When you think of fire with the Bible, everybody thinks the same thing, right? You think of hell. When Jesus was on the cross, what did he say? He said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When Jesus was on the cross, he took all the punishment for all the sins of all the people in all the world. He was roasted with fire. He said, Passover has got a lot of symbolism it. Jesus, the spotless, perfect man, young without sin, without fault. The one who could come and be acceptable sacrifice, the one who was set apart, the one whose blood was struck once in the middle and once on either side. The one who was roasted in the night with fire and if you read in the Gospel of John was crucified well, uh, died at about 3 o'clock in the afternoon at the same time as they started slaughtering the lambs. It says in the evening, it actually, the Hebrew literally says between two evenings, between noon and 6 o'clock. 3 there, in the middle of the afternoon, Jesus died at the same time as down the road the Israelites were telling him Passover over. They were looking at the check while the real thing was there. You say, well, that's all very interesting. And I promise there's even more that's going to be interesting, but why the Passover? You already told us a minute ago that there's a Day of Atonement, that there's a day where the sin offering is made for the sins of the people. Why did Jesus die on the Passover instead of on the Day of Atonement? So, well, there's some uh, practical reasons that the Jews killed their lamb on a day that was on the day before the holiday, and that they couldn't work on the Day of Atonement, so they couldn't uh, kill someone on that. But that's not very satisfying because they used the Romans to do it anyway. The Romans didn't care very much about Jewish law. Why was it that Jesus died on the day of the Passover? The Passover lamb was not a sin offering. The Passover lamb was about freedom from slavery. Do you know that ever since you've been born, you have been a slave to sin? How many times have you done something and said, well, I just don't know what came up with it," Or how many times have you said something and said, I just don't know where that came from? How many times have you said, I try to do the right thing, and I try to do the right thing, and I try to do the right thing, and I just can't? Paul says, when I find the principle that whenever I try to do evil, whenever I try to do good, evil is there with me. He says, the good that I would like to do, I don't do. And the evil that I would not like to do, that I do. Have you ever experienced that? The things that you wish that you could do, you just don't. There are things that you don't want to do. And you find yourself doing them over and over and over again. You're a slave. Some of you are slaves in lots of different ways. You know, um, Some people are slaves uh, financially. Right? The Bible says the borrower is slave to the lender. Some people get loaded down in consumer debt. Right? You've got so much credit card debt or whatever that you cannot make good decisions. Let's say God laid it on your heart to leave your job and go... To Africa for two months to go on a mission trip. And you just knew that's what you were supposed to do. And but before you could go, what do you have to say? Well, let me check with Lady Visa and Master and make sure that it's okay with them, right? The borrower is slave to the lender. You don't have the freedom to do what you want to do, right? When well, you're piled down. And all the things that you bought that you thought you were going to use that you didn't use, well, you still have for What other ways are we slaves? We're slaves to fear. How many times has there been something that you know you needed to do and you're just to sick to it? Some people are slaves to substances, right? Paul says, I will be I will not be mastered by anything. You get hooked on something. You know, maybe it's drugs, maybe it's alcohol, maybe it's caffeine. I don't know what you're hooked on, but you end up being a slave to something, don't you? And if that's not in your life, you're stuck. We end up enslaved. And so the Bible says that we are all a bunch of slaves walking around in chains. And maybe you never noticed <coughs> that you were in chains before. And there's nobody who is more of a slave than the one who doesn't even realize he's a slave there. You never realize that you were enslaved by sin. You think, well, I could put anything I want. But you know better, don't you? <laughs> You could say that to somebody else, but in the back of your mind, you're like, maybe. <laughs> you say, you know, I'm in control of this. But every time you try to break the chains of it, you find that you are not in control, and you make some kind of an excuse to go and put your cuffs back on. And sometimes, you know what's It sounds really good to the people around you. But in your heart, you know that what it is, is that you are... A pig returning to the dirt, that you are a slave returning to your chains. My dog thinks that he wants to be free. If I open the house, the door of the house, we will make a run for it. He'll run, run, run. And if I chase him, oh boy, we will go. We will cover some ground. I don't know. I, I've gone, I've run at full speed as far as the park down here, trying to keep up with that dog. And he's so little. It's like a running bus. So I'm chasing and chasing and chasing and chasing and chasing. And it's, like, it's all rough. And all the people look out the windows and laugh. I'm the police chaplain, right? If they find him, they're going to bring him back to you. Why am I running? So I run and run and run. And in my mind, I am thinking, you yeah, know, how bad do we really need it all? <laughs> But the funniest thing, Zorro, you don't have to chase him. He starts to run out, starts to run into the street. And I get in the car and I follow him. And when he stops, because he's distractible, he's got uh, ADHD like his daddy. He runs. And he stops and looks at something. And I just pull up beside him and open the car door and say, Zoro, get in the car. They're jumping. He thinks, we're going to go somewhere. We're going to go somewhere. Going to go to him to morning and get my haircut, cut. You know, whatever. Gonna go to her house and run around. <laughs> he thinks that's what I want. I want to get in the car. I want to get in the car. I want to get in the car. And so he gets in the car. And we drive back to the house. And I take him back inside. You think, well, eventually he's going to be wise guy. No, he's not. He's a dog. <laughs> <laughs> and you look. And you say, I'm going to be free. I'm not going to do this anymore. And Satan drives up his, you know, black Cadillac next to you and opens up the door and says, hey, get in the car. They say, oh, we're going to go have some fun. Oh, we're going to go make some money, Oh, we're going to go get popular or whatever it is that you are addicted to. And you get in the car and you get driven back to your chains. You think that your problem is just sin. Your problem is slavery sin. <laughs> The Passover is about the day that the Israelites came out of slavery. And Jesus died not just to buy you forgiveness, but to buy you freedom. If you think that you become a Christian just so that you can, you know, get a ticket to heaven when you die, high in the sky, and you don't realize that it can completely change your life right now, I think you've missed the real thing. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. If the Son shall set you free, ye shall be free indeed. My question is, are you a slave this morning? If you're a slave this morning, maybe you need to meet Jesus. If you're a slave this morning, maybe you've gone through the motions and your heart has never really been changed. If you're a slave this morning, can you put the blood <clears throat> Let's go just a little bit farther. Oh, this is so good. I wish we had all afternoon. We still get out of 12 today, right? <laughs> he said in verse uh, 11, And thus shall ye eat it with your loins girded your shoes on your feet and your staff in your hand and you shall eat it in haste It is the Lord's Passover. He says you eat standing up, you eat dressed because when this is done you're going to go out. He said you get your freedom and then you take it. go. When you come to Jesus, you don't come to Jesus to say okay, you know Lord, please forgive me of my sins and you know in five or six years I'm really going to get my life straightened up. He comes to Jesus to say, all to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. Worldly pleasures all forsaken, take me Jesus. Take me You do a dress to rent Let's continue. He says, keep trying to take my glass off. Habits, I'm a slave to taking my glass off when I go to breathe. <laughs> it says, and the blood, uh, I'm sorry, verse 12, for I will pass through. Why is it the Lord's Passover? For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. I told you all the plagues were God telling them who he was. And he says, tonight I'm going to go through and I'm going to show you who the king of kings is. I'm going to destroy all the gods of Egypt. I fought against the Nile River that they worshipped and turned it to blood. They worship frogs, and I gave them a plague of frogs until they begged for them to go away. But the ones that they really worship are themselves. He says, I'm going to go through tonight, and I'm going to crush that. He says, and the blood shall be to you for a token upon the house where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. So I'm going to go through when I'm going to go through each house of Egypt, and in every house, death is going to come. But when I see the blood, I will skip your house. When I see the blood, I will say, a lamb has already died here. So no one else needs to die. But you realize that's not true. I already told you, the lamb is not good for anything. The lamb is a check. In every house of the firstborn of Egypt, in every house of Egypt, the firstborn of die. And when Jesus saw, when God saw the blood of the lamb, he saw the blood that was the check, and he said another firstborn is going to die for this house. Jesus came to the house, saw the blood on it, and he said no firstborn son needs to die here because the son of God is going to die for these. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. Don't let this get by you. It is not because a lamb is worth a life. It's because God gave up his son, but no son needed to die here. God looks at you, and he says, look, you are a slave to sin. You do the wrong things all the time. You are my enemy. You are an officer in the armies of opposition to God. He says, you deserve punishment, but when I see the blood, when I know that someone else is out in your place, I will pass over you. What else do you do with your guilt? You know, do you try to do more good things to cancel out your bad things? Well, good luck, right? You all heard me say it before, but if I'm driving down the road and uh, I get a fit of road rage and shoot somebody and kill them. and the police take me in, and I stand before the judge, and the judge says, "Well, are you? Did you kill them? And I said, yes, Judge, but wait, there's some mitigating circumstances. Said, what do you mean, mitigating circumstances? You killed someone. And I said, but Judge, I was driving on I-45. You didn't see all the people that I didn't kill, right? You say, I did more good than bad. Well, how, how is that going to go over with the Judge right then? The said, Judge, I'm a pretty good person. I, uh, you know, I, I shot him with a 22 in the chest. But I had a forty-five. I could have used. Like I could have done this a lot worse. There's no. He's dead. You did it, right? I, I also I love the example of a glass of water. got a glass of water, and I put some strychnine in it, some cyanide or something. Just a little bit, and I hand it to you. I say, Boy, is there?" Some there you go. Right? I say, "There's poison in it." And I say, "Well, wait a minute. Don't worry." I have got some of the best coffee that you've ever tasted. Let me take this cyanide water and let me brew you a little bit of coffee with it. And now there's way more coffee than there is poison. There's more good in this cup than bad. Who's thirsty? That's not how it works at all, is it? What do you have to do? What do I have to do to make you drink out of that cup? I'm going to take it, dump it out, and wash it out. And then wash that again and then wash that again before you're going to touch it. When you stand before God, if you think you're going to tell God, well, you know, I'm mostly a pretty good person, and you really realize there's no, you really don't think that you've got guilt. My question is, do you, you see, you know, you know you've done wrong. You know you've done things, not just things that you didn't want to do. You know you've done things on purpose that you knew were wrong, that you'd be upset if somebody else did them. And when you die, what do you do with that? Even now, what do you do with that? How do you go to sleep in there? You say, well, I just kind of block it out. Do. Well, that's lovely. <coughs> it's not going to get you very far. Yeah, can you imagine if somebody said, "No, well, I've got leukemia. I so said, how do you do that? Well, I try not to think about it. It's not very helpful. Is there some kind of treatment? Yeah, there is, but no, it, you know it's, You're dying, Right? no matter how much it hurts, that's what you think. So what do you do with your sin? What do you do with your guilt? What do you do with your shame? Why do you fiddle around with it while it's killing you? You're a slave. And you need to be set free. He says, this is incredible. He says, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. you we're going to jump way down because we we're uh, out of time. Go down to Verse 21. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said unto them, Draw out and take you a lamb according to your families and kill the Passover. You should take a bunch of up and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and strike the lentil at the two side posts with the blood that is in the basin and none of you shall go out of the door of the house until the morning. He, tells them, he gathers them together and tells them what God heard from him. He says, For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians, and when he seeth the blood upon the lintel and on the doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not suffer the destroyer to come in unto your houses to smite you. Now, wait a minute. This is not what we read. It's still the phrase Passover, but Passover is now used in two completely different ways. Before, God said, I'm going to come through and I am going to skip your house when I pour out judgment. I'm going to pass over you like that. But now, Moses says, God will pass over to keep the destroyer out. God will pass over like a cloud passes over the sun. Here is your house, and here God stands to keep the destroyer out. See what I'm saying? Stick with me here. God the Father says, I'm going to come And I'm going to come and rain destruction down on the Egyptians. And I will skip the houses where I see the blood. God the Son says, where I see the blood, I will leap and stand in front of that door. I will be between you and the wrath of God. There's a beautiful symbol of this in the way that the Egyptians, in the Day of Atonement, actually. In the Day of Atonement, they had the Ten Commandments in a box, the Ark of the Covenant. And on the Day of Atonement, they would come and they would sprinkle blood. On top of the box. And the metaphor, obviously it's not literally true, the metaphor is that God looks down from heaven and instead of saying the Ten Commandments that we've all broken, instead he sees the blood. When God comes bringing destruction through Egypt, he says, I will pass over you because the sun passes over you. He covers you like a hen covers her brood. Now, this amazes me. The wrath of God comes down. The death of Jesus marks the door. But because Jesus rose again, he lives to stand between you and judgment. he lives to stand between you and wrath. There's so much more that I wanted to say. As we get ready to close, here's, here's very straight, very simple. God comes down. Verse 29 says, And it came to pass that at midnight the Lord came to the firstborn of the captive that was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the cattle. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants, and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. Comes through, and every Egyptian house that's not marked by blood, the firstborn in that house dies. Whether it's Pharaoh, Pharaoh's son dies, or whether it's a prisoner. Now, you know what else that tells me? That whether it was Moses, the king of Israel, or whether it was somebody in jail, no matter what they've done, if the blood was on their door, they live. God doesn't care how much money you have or who you are or what you've done. The question is, do you have the blood between yourselves? great story that I'm going to close with by uh, Donald Carson he he talks about two Israelites on the night before the Passover and one of them comes to the other and says I am just so scared I'm so so worried when death comes what's going to happen and the other one says well did you put the blood on your own because yeah, yeah, I put the blood on my door, just you know, and I, I know God's going to take care. Of it, but I'm just, I'm just so nervous. And the other one says, "Bring it on." I know God's going to take care of us. night, they both go back to their houses and go to bed. Which one of those two men do you suppose lost his son that night? Either one. Because it's not about the emotion that you have. It's not about who you are or the passion that you have, it's about a very simple question. Have you put the blood between you and the destroyer? You say, well, you know, I just don't feel all that. I don't, I don't really care how you feel. That doesn't sound very nice. <laughs> but I don't, I don't care how you feel. Here's my question. You say, well, you know, I remember when I was little or I don't care about that either right now, if I could look at the door of your heart I see it marked by the blood of the cross. Do, I, do you know that if destruction came that Jesus would leap between you and that destruction, stand in the middle and say, this one's mine, I already paid the price for that? Do you know? If you don't, now's the time to find out. The first step is the last step. Come to God and say, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I have been a rebel. I know that I've been a slave. But I know that your son died to set me free. Will you make me free, Jesus? And if you believe that, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, why would you go here to, Why would you leave here today? Kind of wondering. Why would you leave here today saying, well, you know, I hope I, I hope that if something happens. Why would you leave here today without knowing that God has said, when I see the blood, I will pass over? You know you're a slave. You know you're an enemy of God. So as our musicians come forward and we all stand together, we have a hymn invitation. Why will you make the choice right now to come?